Hello and welcome back to the CSC Talk podcast. And again, again, I say this, I said this last time and I said Man United is a must-win game, but Chelsea end up in a draw. A big weekend for a lot of sports fans, cricket's on, football's on, uh, F1 is on as well this weekend, as well as the UFC and, and the other chat and the other sports going on. But in terms of a Chelsea fan, uh, we won't be too happy with this weekend. And tonight joining me today, Akash, uh, Thank you very much for joining. But, you know, how are you doing? How, how has it been? Diwali, obviously, in India this weekend. I'm sure there must be a lot of fireworks from India, Pakistan as well today. Uh, that was a big game as well. Yeah. Yep. So for me, for my hometown, Diwali isn't that big a deal because we're yeah. down in the south. And uh, But for now, I'm in Delhi. And I think Diwali plus the India win has people celebrating like mad. So you probably can't hear because I think Zoom cancels a lot of the noise. But there's a lot of fireworks going on. So yeah, good times. No, yeah. I mean, the one place where there are no fireworks was Stamford Bridge last night. Chelsea won, Man United won. A big tactical battle between Eric Ten Hag and Graham Potter. It was nice to see. It was nice to see two managers making those substitutes, cancelling each other's tactics out. But in the end, we conceding another last-minute goal, 90 plus four minutes. I mean, that's two big games. Man United, as well as that Tottenham game, where we've conceded in the 90-plus minutes and lost out on three points. Uh, but, but just before we dive into the first half and the lineups, before uh, we dive into that, you know, your quick thoughts in o- overall in terms of uh, Potter so far and that performance against Man United and Brentford maybe on the uh, on the midweek. For sure. So I think before uh, Potter came to Chelsea, I think he was one of my favourite managers outside of uh, the obvious big six, right? They were a really, really fun team to watch. But when he does come to Chelsea, he does bring in uh, you start to notice, I think, a bit more of the negatives. Uh, and it's it's very early on in his reign. He's barely getting time on the training pitch because the matches are coming so thick and fast. So I think right now it's more of trying to figure out what works best. He's still trying to learn the layout of his squad. You know, what profiles he has, what profiles he needs. So I think at least another couple of windows before you actually start to see. But it is Chelsea. He has to pick up points in the interim and he's done pretty well. Although it has been with teams of maybe questionable quality. So there have been positives, but uh, I am invested in the journey, interested to see where it goes. Yeah, no, I could, I think there is no concern in terms of Chelsea. I know there will be comments on Twitter, but you know, should you, we, no one no, well, no one really takes them seriously about Potter not being the right appointment and bringing Tuchel back and this and so on and people being reactionary. But uh, Graham Potter is a long-term coach at Chelsea and people need to start realizing that. We're not going to get off to a, a Champions League win in the first season or we're not going to get one point in behind Arsenal or Man City in the in the Premier League this season. But five years down the line, we might have a squad who uh, which end up like Man City winning titles every every year and, and maybe not bosh up the, the Champions League as Man City's done in the previous years. But um, looking at the lineup that, that was announced on the night, you know, Chelsea going with a back three, Kukurea playing as that left centre back was was what was reported. Uh, as for Lequeta, I guess, as the right wing back or the right back with Loftus-Cheek helping him out in that area and Ben Chilwell. A bit of a change from Brentford it was. What did you think of the starting lineup and and whether or not Pulisic would have started? Because for me, I think Pulisic deserved that start. And I know we're going to get into that first half and that second half and how Aubameyang and Sterling performed. But just before... That 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 game started. What were your thoughts, and and why did you not? Why why did you think Pulisic was not given the 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 head start ahead of Sterling or Aubameyang or or Mount in that case in those front three positions? Uh, the only 
plausible reason i can think of is there are games a lot lot of games even in october right and we have the champions league game coming up next so my thought process was that potter wants to save pulisic for those games or either bring him off bring him on as an impact sub and he did come on as well but didn't get enough time to actually uh, leave his mark on the game and especially with how lackluster the attack's been as in they they're not showing uh, put in, you know the capability to, to even hold on to a ball right and pulisic whenever he's come on has been lively he's been direct he's been running at people so i think he deserved a start was a little disappointed with the lineup to see him not get a start but potter knows best he sees them on the training ground always so, and uh, i think more concerns for me in terms of the midfield right even though we, we were going with the so united went with ericsson instead of fred and my thought process was ericsson would be dropping deep maybe alongside casemiro maybe their plan was to sit off us but uh, i think they completely surprised us with how intense they were in the first half we couldn't even hold on to the ball for more than 3 4 passes at a time uh, and definitely a lot of concerns there our midfield is literally hanging on by kovacic's uh, like you know like ankle ligaments right now which is very concerning uh, we splashed a lot of cash but the engine room is where you need bodies right and you have zakaria who's badly getting minutes there so a few concerns especially with the amount of games we'll play before the world cup but i'm hoping potter can find some work around there so. yeah you're right in saying the midfield is an issue for chelsea and that man united coming coming at us with with so much intensity in that first half was completely unexpected because you know, Man United haven't been the team who have gone and and pressed hard and and fought fought off the ball a lot this season. And, and under Ten Hag, I've seen a few games, and even that Brentford game when they lost four one. I know, uh, I know those are those are early days, but it it was a very different Man United team uh, in terms of they didn't come here for a draw. They didn't come here as thinking, well, Ronaldo's out of the squad. We don't we don't have players in form. We're just gonna you know, play it out, get a draw and go back home. They came here for three points and and they know that that they haven't been beaten by Chelsea since 2017 in the Premier League. So they wanted to make sure that that record uh came came, you know, stayed stayed the way it is. But Kulabali obviously uh didn't I, th- I don't think Kulabali started and that was because of a knee knee issue uh in terms of the lineups as well. And then Thiago Silva who came in and Ben Chilwell. Honestly in my opinion, you know, the defense was was something to really uh, think positively about because I think honestly, Thiago Silva just putting up such an incredible performance. I know Chalaba was named man of the match, um, and as you mentioned, the midfield is a big issue for Chelsea. And if it continues like this, it'll be very concerning. And I know I want to get into this talk about Zachary and what your thoughts are, but towards the end of the podcast after this discussion about Man United, but you know, Trevor Chalaba. Uh, 30 starts, if I'm not wrong, for Chelsea. 22 wins, nine draws, zero losses, and he is yet to be de- he is yet to be defeated uh, in the Premier League, at least for Chelsea. Uh, your thoughts on that and that pairing with with Thiago Silva and what they can do this season? Yep. So again, great journey to see, right? He has done his due diligence in terms of he's gone out on loan multiple times, multiple places. I think he played for Huddersfield in the Championship. Went out to League One, uh, was one of the best, statistically one of the best midfielders there. And he's come back and he, he's now making his place completely different position and he's still sort of learning the ropes. I think last year, there were a couple of instances where if you see someone running directly at Trevor Chalobah inside the box, you're a little concerned because he has that 
tendency to dive in a bit of a rash streak there but he's, he's sort of coming down a lot uh, last year in terms of ball progression his numbers weren't great and again you're comparing him with people like Reese and Thiago Silva so obviously not a very fair comparison but he's adding to that element of his game as well he's cutting out a lot of the silly errors and he's young he will make mistakes but we have to be patient with players like this right and uh, very very happy with how under Tuchel, there was there was talk that he was going to leave, but he's now come back and uh, you know he's making his mark in the squad. There's even talk that he might go with England to the World Cup if I'm not wrong. And very happy for such a young player to uh, be showing so much quality. Outside of Trevor Chalob, I think uh, Kukurai is finding it a little difficult now. Uh, again, new team, uh, completely different way of playing. Even even though it's the same manager, I think the demands are pretty different that are being placed on Kukurella right now. Brighton, with all due respect to them, uh, did not create as many chances as people think they did last season. They, In terms of big chances created, I think they were around 9th or 10th in the Premier League. And that that sort of reflects their league position as well. But having to be so much more pro- proactive with his passing right now, I think di- totally different uh, demands and he's finding it a little difficult. But uh, there's definitely enough quality in there to become a top, top player. And I think yep, our fan base just has to be a little bit more patient with him there. We need to realize Kukurea is someone who's playing out of position at the moment for for a lot of the yep. games. Yes, he's he can play left center back, but his preferred option, uh, his preferred position is a left wing back and left back. It's exactly like saying, right now, if I slot in Asby as a center back or a Reese James as a center or a center back, that's a, that's a more of a realistic uh, comparison. Where if I set in Reese James as center back, yes, he's going to do a good job defensively, but. Reese James is not in this team just because he can make two or three tackles, intercept the ball. He is in this team because he's got the ability to come up, support the attacking players, and then be aware of what his defensive roles are, which obviously uh, Aspi doesn't have at the moment because of because of his age and uh, other factors as well. So with Kukurea, you're right in saying we need to be more patient. We just need to just give him time, settle into the team, and right now, it's one of those where neither of Kukurea or Chilwell are performing incredibly well to a point of well, what Chilwell was doing last season before that injury for, for Potter to say, well, this, uh, this player has to start every single game or this player has to play in this position. And we haven't seen much from Chilwell or Kukurea in, in, in general. So it's, it's not that we can sit here and say, well, Chilwell plays better in that position or Kukurea because more or less they've, they've been pretty similar in, in terms of in terms of playing in that left left back or left wing back role, but Reese uh, James being injured means as the credit comes in, and we're really struggling to we're really finding out the the struggles that Chelsea have on that right hand side and how much Reese James is being missed out. Uh, just in terms of attacking opportunities that he creates, the chances that he creates, and the spaces that he finds uh, with linking up with Mount, and then that support this just to Sterling as well when there's uh, a switch in 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 the wing in the wings. Um, but Asby, it's like I don't want to go into and 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 say anything about Asby because he's a legend. And yes, Chelsea don't have a backup right back. He is he is the only backup we have. And if we knew that if if we we've already experienced it with Chilwell last season, and if we were prepared for it, we should have got and and done our deals early with with a right back and and gotten someone similar to Reese James to replace him. And which is what we did with Kukurea because we realized, well, Chilwell was out for X amount of months last last year and it cost us so many games. So your thoughts on how Chelsea can maybe figure out that position because Asby clearly isn't what what the best option uh, in there until Reese James comes back, uh, hopefully after the World Cup. Got it. So for me, Asby can still do a job, but 
he needs protection i think if you're playing him at wing back you either need a really really proactive defender who will step out of the line if i if i may just come in. Yeah. but yeah i, I agree with you like aspi i've said this many a times on the podcast and a lot of people on twitter say well you're just being you're just being a bit biased because he's he's aspi and i want to make it very clear like yes he can do a job but you can't expect him to be at the level yep. of reese james or totally be, fair yeah be be attacking and then one minute go back and and defend as well and in sorry to interrupt but yeah you're right in saying that that he needs cover Yeah, so he needs someone who's proactive, will step out of the line and help him out if he's struggling one v one. I think Fofana was that kind of player, very very aggressive. Uh, and if you see how often he steps out, he backs himself to win those one v ones, and that's precisely the kind of player we need. Bad luck that he's injured right now. Uh, we did chase a lot of backup. We I think we chased Dumfries for a while. Not the biggest fan of Dumfries, but he's he's an okay player. He's pretty good one v one. He's physically strong. Uh, he's not the kind of guy who'll put up maybe fifteen assists a year, but he he's decent. Kyle Walker Peters was chased, but people didn't want him because you have Livramento, who we do have a buyback option on. But then again, he's coming back off an ACL injury. There's no guarantee that he'll he'll be the same player. So why we didn't chase backup there didn't make too much sense to me. Jonathan Claus was a very very good option, and I think he's playing really well. I, if I'm not wrong, he's with Marseille right now. I could be wrong. Uh, League One, I watch only for PSG and the occasional Monaco game, but I think I did watch uh, a recent uh, PSG Marseille game as well. So. Very good option. Okay, who we could have got for maybe seven to eight million. We didn't. Uh, not having backup and you know class backup in this position is a huge problem. You had Felipe Luis come in in fourteen fifteen when he was probably one of the best left backs in La Liga, and then he proceeded to be benched by Aspi, right? And that's how good a player Aspi was. Even out of position, Mourinho thought that he was maybe the best option there. And that's the kind of competition we need in the squad if we're going to eventually challenge City there and. Uh, Kind of disappointing why we didn't proactively go ahead and make those signings, and I think the same applies for wide attackers and uh, you know even in midfield as well. You lack so much quality one v one when the ball goes out into those wide areas, and the people picking it up are either Kai Havertz and Mason Mount. Due all due respect to them, are not the best out wide. Uh, so yeah, pretty, and I'm hoping that's something we address in January. Yeah, I think what's even more surprising is. The fact that right at the start of the window, if I'm not wrong, a lot of Chelsea accounts, a lot of journalists were reporting the fact that Jonathan Klaus is, is one of the main targets for Chelsea as a right back because they know as he might leave by the end of this season. And um, f- flash forward a few months and, and we hear this as signed a new two year contract. And and not that I'm saying it was a wrong, wrong decision. Obviously, that was the only decision left to make to make at that point. But if Chelsea knew that the situ- that they might be in this situation, considering the the amount of games there are this season and the not just the amount of games, but as in the intensity of the games this season coming up every two or three days, we should have been more careful and we should have just finished up that deal earlier. And to me, it just seems like, well, we could have uh, extended Asby's contract and had Jonathan Klaus in this team because as uh, as we can still put in a shift at center back for me i think he is still one of those yep. one of those options for me and with fafana being injured thiago silva not being able to play every single game it would have been a perfect opportunity for him to get some game time and two years is is not a lot for a player who's given everything to this club and who may just want to you know end his career at chelsea fc because of because of what he's achieved at the club so you're it's it's a bit disappointing and and those flaws are now coming out because of Reese James's injury and I feel like b- because of how good Reese James is everyone at Chelsea's board would have just gone well 
we'll just handle it. Reese James, Reese James is there to cover it up for us this whole this whole season, and that's that's how it went. So, yeah, it is it is one of those where we do need to look into it in January and and maybe next summer because there isn't a lot of uh, noise around that right now. But midfield is one area where I think it's very very easy to pick out on on what's needed and and what's required. A natural number six when Kante is not playing. We can really see Jorginho getting picked out of position. We can really see Loftus Cheek not being able to do his defensive duties. And what surprises me is on deadline day, Zakaria was sold as one of those number six signings that Chelsea need this season to counter the injuries Kante is going to face or to take off the workload that Kante and Jorginho will have. And there is no sign of him on the pitch, not even as a substitute, not even in games where we're leading 2-0 and you just want to run down the clock and you just want to give some players a time. And there are a few players who haven't had a lot of opportunities and Ziyech being one of them, but that I, I can agree with. But the Zakaria situation to me just doesn't make any sense. When you ask Potter about it, he said there's no decision being made. The loan may cut be cut short and stuff like that, which makes no sense to me because I guess... Maybe he's seen something in training or something's happened in training, what we don't know about. But as, as far as I can see, Zachary has done nothing wrong for him not to be able to get any minutes in, in a busy schedule like this where there's game every two and three days. So I don't know about the midfield issues, but, but what are your what are your thoughts on that? Mm, Zachary was obviously a Tukil uh, back signing, right? Someone maybe he that he knew from uh, the Bundesliga as well. And... From my memory of Zachary, I think I remember watching him when Marco Rose was there and they had Alessandro Pli and uh, Thuram's and I, I, I keep forgetting his name. So, he, those two players and he was pretty competent in the middle of the park. He was mopping, you know, loose balls up. He was keeping the ball ticking over and uh, not a world-class player, but he was pretty decent. I remember watching him in Juventus as well after I think he came back from COVID. He had a knee injury and the, the difference was stark as in... Uh, he was not the same player that he was. And I think the thought process behind bringing him, bringing him here was he would eventually recover the form that he had shown at uh, Gladbach. But uh, people are voicing concerns over his conditioning as well. That he's nowhere near match fit enough to start a game for Chelsea. And that is concerning. So, if he passed a medical for us, how is he not fit enough to start? And that's concerning. And if we're cutting things short in January, then... I'm pre- I'm hoping there's a solid plan behind it. I I'm hoping we either sign sign Edson Alvarez from Ajax. I think who we chased very embarrassingly on the last day of the window and failed to get him, or we you know go all out on Declan Rice or whoever else the manager wants. Because this has gone on for gone on for so long, right? We've been calling out for uh, a robust presence in midfield for like since Frank Lampard was here, and you know we're still here debating over the same. Weaknesses in midfield, and it, it's a little boring right now. Just get someone in, plug those gaps, and let you know other players get along with what you know, get on with what they want to do. And if coaches gets injured, which is very likely, considering the amount of games we play, then we go into uh, you know, the pre World Cup and you know, maybe the few games after with just uh, Jorginho and Ruben Loftus cheek as our only fit options, which is a scenario I do not want to see, right? And uh, hoping that's addressed in Jen. Yeah, Kovacic's situation, I think Potter as well made it very clear in the post-match when when he was asked why Kovacic didn't start and he, and he said, well, Kovacic isn't fully match fit. And, and when asked in detail, he said, 
there are still issues with Kovacic and his injury, but we we're trying to manage his game time to make sure that he gets minutes and and at the same time making sure that it's it doesn't affect his injury and he continues to play because Chelsea right now in midfield are don't have a lot of options. They can't just bring out bring on whoever they want. Kovacic is probably the only one who can come on make an impact when when Jorginho and um, Loftus Cheek are on the pitch. Gallagher has had a few good performances, but nothing incredible as well and and that performance uh, against Brighton when he played in that pivot just didn't work so I think that's one of the reasons why uh, he was dropped out for Man United and uh, it's and then we saw how Brighton pressed us in that first half and Man United did the, did the exact same thing and uh, at times we we did see Loftus-Cheek lose out on the ball Jorginho get dispossessed as well the passes as you mentioned in the first 45 minutes were a really struggle for Chelsea to even string a few passes together but in the front three, the the biggest issue that we saw was was Sterling and Aubameyang gone missing on that day, and all this talk about these two signings just vanishing, and and Pulisic being the man and Breuer being the two people who had to come on and and try and put some threat on that Man United defense, try and create those chances or take those opportunities. But Sterling, a lot of people were saying that. You, you as an ex, as a winger who's cost so much to Chelsea, you expect him to be able to dribble past players, and to that I I was well I was like well look at him at Man City. You've got someone like De Bruyne who creates those incredible through balls for him, and all he has to do is just use his pace, get in behind the defenders, and make that final pass or just take the shot. And Sterling's never been known to be the talisman, the guy you aim for for a goal it's always you pass it to Sterling he creates a chance and it's either Harry Kane for England or one of the strikers at, at Man City depending on who's playing to do it but a lot of people seem to have disagreed with me on that so I just want to know what your thoughts are and and his role I guess different his his role at, Ch- at Chelsea being a lot different than, than Man City got it so I think the best version of Sterling that I remember was 1718 you had that uh attacking five of uh, which included Sterling and Sané basically attacking opposite ends of the box and then you had people like De Bruyne, David Silva and Bernardo Silva pulling strings behind them and it was one of the most fun teams to watch and a lot of Sterling's goals if you notice are uh, cutbacks or you know him making that run on the blind side of the defender right and for that you for, for that you need quality service you, you had people like Kyle Walker, uh, Kevin De Bruyne and even Leroy Sané putting things on a plate for Sterling and do you have that quality at Chelsea? Obviously, you don't. Uh, I rate Mount very highly, but I think he's at that point in his career where there's one progression that he has to make in terms of quality. Uh, he created somewhere close to, I think, 58 to 59 chances last season. And if you filter it down by big chances, I think uh, I think he made like 9 or 10 big chances. Your primary creator can't be putting up those numbers over a season. Right? I'm, I'm not being very critical. He's one of my favorite players and I'm, I'm invested in the journey for sure. But... I have expectations because I know how talented he is. You go to a team like Liverpool, where your right-back puts up 90 chances a season. You go to United, where even even though they weren't as good as we were last season, Bruno Fernandes laid, out, laid on close to 100 chances. And this is just looking at the raw numbers, right? Even if you see how Mount picks the ball up, maybe close to the box, his decision-making isn't quite there yet, which is fair. He's, he's a fairly young player. And it's similar even if you look at other players like Kai Havertz so. or... Whoever else picks up the ball, picks the ball up close to goal. But for Sterling, again, I'm a little disappointed because 
the areas where he picks up the ball on occasion are a little deeper than he was at City on the left wing. But he he does get into those good positions in and around the box, but doesn't do enough with it. Aubameyang has been great last few games, but again, couple of disappointing performances. So not going to throw too much too much criticism his way. Chelsea isn't a team where we spend this amount of money, but still you know, sort of come back after every match and say there are issues with creativity or issues with chance creation. We do not have uh, that excuse. We have spent too much money and, you know, done too much counting, looked at every single league for us to still not know what the answer is. And I'm hoping that that's something Potter is looking very closely at and something that we have a concrete plan for. And, you know, I think hopefully Nkunku comes in and maybe we look at someone like Ivan Tony and we bring those profiles together and make something work. But that can't happen soon enough. It's been too long uh, this year. Because it's always nice to see that a new manager comes, there's a new manager bounce where you're winning games on the trot. But yes, bar those two um, Milan performances, we've played Wolves, Brentford and Aston Villa. And in two of them were convincing wins. One was a draw. And now against Man City, we've seen a few of the negatives of, of Potter Ball, if you want to call it. And I know it's still very early days. It's too early to judge anything. And obviously, Bowley being very vocal about what he wants to do in January. And he's wasting no time. And he wants to use as much as what he can uh, in the January window to try and lure in some players. But it's a long season ahead for Chelsea and they they we really need to be prepared for for what comes in uh, with with the whole Sterling and Aubameyang situation I feel like they'll come they'll they'll eventually it'll it'll all settle in and it'll all work out but Pulisic has been someone who's been surprising under Graham Potter a few sub 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 performances uh coming off not sub performances a few performances off the bench I don't want to say sub performances because it just sounds like uh, I'm trying to take away from his performances but He's been really good off the bench. And as you mentioned, the impact sub. But is it time for Potter to really think about it and go, well, I want to see what Pulisic can do in a, in a full 90 minutes or at least right from the start of the game uh, if he plays a 60, 70 minutes and, and maybe bring on Sterling later on? Because we've got a important Champions League win, uh, not win, but a Champions League game coming up against RB Leipzig. And a win would secure qualification, maybe not first place or first spot, but... What a win away for at Salzburg would be still a great a great win for Potter and uh, a great continuation of his tenure at Chelsea at the moment. So would you look at it and go? Pulisic has been someone who's been quite promising. Would you start him on that day? For sure, uh, Havertz scored that header, but general play has been very very poor this season. Not being harsh on him, but he hasn't shown one reproducible skill set. Right, he doesn't have the feet to beat a man. Doesn't have the eye for a pass in the final third to create consistently enough. So, and I think he has an aerial presence and physical presence about him, but that isn't enough reason to start a player. Pulisic has shown that he can, you know, take on a guy on his day. He can definitely go toe to toe with maybe the best defenders in the league, if he, if he backs himself. That is, and Sterling again is blowing hot and cold. So no harm in giving Pulisic a start. I ideally want to see him get a run of maybe three four games, uh, where he can, you know. Sort of, uh, you you need to maybe beat a person once to then you know get those get the confidence and creative juices flowing again. You ideally have to think, okay, you know, even if he is someone like maybe uh, if if you're up against the best one v one defender in the league, a winger going in to fifty fifty still has to back himself to make that dribble or beat him. And I don't think Pulisic is in that frame of mind yet. Uh, and for that, he needs game time. And 15-16 minutes at the end of games is not going to cut it. So, if you do have a plan to give him a contract and, you know, if there are plans to integrate him into the mainstream squad, then 
start doing it right now because can't be a better time we're not doing too great up front anyway so yes exactly cuz you can you can keep giving him those those 15 20 minutes at the end of the game but it's it's consistency and with Pulisic one of the big issues that we had in previous seasons was well he can't be consistent because when he does come on every now and then he gets injured there's issues in terms of his fitness and and so on and so forth but now finally we've got a Pulisic who who isn't injured who's ready to play who's shown that he can play and all he needs is just the backing of the manager a few good games and he'll he'll be ready in no time so realistically if I'm Potter I I can't think of a reason why I wouldn't start him against Salzburg and it's not one of those games where he himself will will start thinking well I'm the second choice because it's still an important game for Chelsea it's it's still a must win game and it's still one of those where we need to scrape away a win, whether it's a 1-0 or 2-0 win. So Pulisic, for me, has to start. Havertz, you're right in saying, look, I'm, I'm not just... I know I'm I'm probably going to sound harsh. I'm probably going to uh, sound reactionary on this one. But I'm just done with Havertz right now. I am, I yeah. Honestly, I am so done with him. And I said this about Pulisic a few months ago. I said this about Ziyech a few months ago, that they do not have the attitude right now to play for, for Chelsea. And I don't mean it because they're not Chelsea made or Chelsea level or all that BS that people talk about on Twitter. But Abamyang and Broya have shown much more than Havertz uh, right now on the pitch. And to me, when Havertz starts, it's just insulting to both of those guys who've, who've been pretty much the two talismans for Chelsea right now. And specifically for Broya, because even though he's not been getting those goals, even though he might not be getting those assists each game, but he is someone who's putting in the effort. He is someone who chases after the ball. He's someone who's pressing. He's someone who's helping out the team in, in whatever is required. Whereas in Havertz, I haven't seen that against Brentford. I didn't see that in the starts that he had before that. And that is one of the big reasons why I don't even think he featured against, uh, against Man United, which honestly, fine by me. Yes, we spend a lot of money on him, but if you can't, if you're not performing, take it, take a few days off, take a few games off, go into the training ground, work on work on your skills, work on stuff, come back fresher. Because there's no point us or Potter giving players chances just because oh it's Havertz, just because it's Raheem Sterling, we spent eighty odd million on him, just because it's Aubameyang coming in for a year or so on and so forth. If Broya is doing well, Broya starts. If Pulisic is doing well, Pulisic starts. It's it's end of the game. There's no big names in Chelsea. There's no small names in Chelsea. It's it's. It has to be totally based on performance. It has to be totally based off tactics. It can't be your your experience of the last 20 years in the Premier League or your Champions League experience and, and this and that. At one point, I think Chelsea fans were fine with Mount being benched because we realized he needs a break. He's been over, he's been exhausted with the amount of games he's played. He's the effort he's put in last season, start of this season. And we knew look, he he took a few games off. He came back suddenly. He's a different mount. Every single game now, he's trying to do his best. He's showing what he can do, and and he's coming back to the form that he was in the start in the in the last season in that Champions League winning season. So, uh, a lot of those fans on Twitter who think well, benching Havertz this game is is unnecessary. Well, no, it is necessary because sometimes you need those kind of uh, you you need that to get into the player's head for them to actually stand up and react and go well if I'm not going to be on the team sheet, then I need to work work my ass off and get on there. And I know it's a bit reactionary in terms of Havertz, but he just doesn't doesn't cut it for me in that squad, right? And not, not in that squad, but in that playing 11. So Broya, Mount, and Pulisic would be my ideal front three uh, on that on that night against Salzburg. Because other than that, I just don't see any other attacking three up there, up there 
on the night. Yep, totally fair. A uh, lot of people, not just you, I think, a uh, <laughs> lot of my friends are like done with Havertz and yeah. same thing, right? So I watched him at Leverkusen and he seemed the kind of player who wanted to get on the ball a lot more. He was putting in those one matter type of passes. He, he was picking the ball up on the right wing, floating crosses and passes in, but he's badly done that at Chelsea, right? And there's like, I can count on one hand the number of games where I've sat back and said, okay, Kai was amazing. There was a game against Fulham where he, where he got a double. And uh, I think there were a couple more games. Real Madrid, uh, the semi-final. I think the second leg, he played almost like a prime Berbatov did. We thought this was this is the homecoming of Kai Havertz right here. But then things just died out. And uh, he's been tried at almost every single position. People said he'd fit in. He still hasn't produced. So I have made my peace with the fact that we might cut our losses and if we can trade him with Bayern for someone like Muziala who for me will be one of the top three players in the world I think a couple of years down the line perfect let's go for it then so, yeah. yeah I think if we if we do get a right offer and I know there's a we had this talk a few I, I had this talk on the podcast last week where I said well if Havertz keeps on doing this I think Boldy's pretty public about the fact that they're interested in Nkunku Liao's one of them as well. Jonathan Klaus is one of them. Jonathan Davis is one of them as well uh, on that list. So Bolly isn't shying away from the fact that, well, I'll spend another 200 million if I have to in the winter to make sure this team stays up. And it is one of those ruthless moves that, that Roman Abramovich does as well. And Marina did as well while at Chelsea. So it's it's either he just stands up and, and says, well, I've, I've had my fair share of time at Chelsea and, and he leaves, or he he gets up and says, I'm going to put on my boots. I'm going to go train next an hour, train, train two hours, train three hours, make sure next game I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Just set goals for himself and just get back into it. Cause it just, it just, there is no consistency. It's, we can't have him, as he said, play like prime Barbatov one game and then suddenly disappear for the next five and then him come back as well. We just can't afford that in in a in a at a club which plays about 60, 70 games in all competitions all season, uh, where you need players to perform every single day, every single week. So it'll be interesting to see what Potter goes with in terms of in terms of the attacking options. There's not a lot to pick from, I guess, in the defense and, and midfield. Uh, but other than obviously the the goalkeeping position, we can't really blame Kepa. And I just I just just want to come back on this as well. A lot of those guys trying to blame Kepa for not saving that goal. I kid you not. You have not watched football. You are uh, you really need to have a look at how football is played because this guy has kept a clean sheet for ten straight hours, six hundred minutes of of not conceding a goal. And it's not because of the defense. Let me get that clear. The reason why he has more saves than any goalkeeper in the Premier League right now is because our defense isn't really good at blocking out shouts. And the saves that he made against Aston Villa, Man United, Brighton as well, they are some incredible saves. And he has really put in the shift in training. You can tell because this guy has come here and he's he knew there's a new manager that's a reset option for him. He came in, took his chance. He got that one chance and he took it and, he, and he's been there for that. And I know I feel for Mendy as well. He was an incredible goalkeeper, but at Chelsea, it's ruthless. You're performing, you get on the team sheet, you're not performing, you stay out. And even at Salzburg, I wouldn't risk it. I'd just stick with Kepa right now. Maybe give Mendy that that chance against Man City uh, in, in the Carabao Cup, but too soon to bring Mendy on, in my opinion, in that in that position. 
Yep, I think the Kepler case is more of people just wanting to be proven right. There's a lot of people who put their chests out on Twitter and said, okay, uh, Kepler is not good enough to play for Chelsea. And when he started actually doing well, I think this applies to Jorginho and Kovacic as well. So many of people have taken their stand that they can't stand it when Jorginho or Kovacic don't perform well, which makes no sense to me. They play for Chelsea. If they play well, our team plays well. So, and similar for Kepa as well, right? He had a great comeback into the squad. And uh, people, if if you watch a game with tinted lenses and if you want watch a game wanting to be proven right, I think that's a shit way to watch football. And I think we're seeing a lot of that in the aftermath. And, you know, it was just a great header. There's no legislating for a header of that quality. And I think Chilwell had a chance to get to the ball, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, and the cross. Those, la- those lapses happen again. I wouldn't throw too much, you know, blame on a player. But uh, these things happen and, you know, f- he made an attempt. Just him getting to the ball with a frame that's smaller, a wingspan that's small is commendable enough and uh, I'm seeing people say he's not tall enough to be a goalkeeper I'm sure there have been shorter goalkeepers in football uh, and yep uh, Kepa deserves his chance uh, he'll play against uh, Salzburg for sure because I think Potter trusts him needs his uh, you know quality on the ball to be received oh, yeah, from th- there is absolutely no reason to not pick Kepa except those 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 people on Twitter uh, trying to trying to spread an agenda I guess but yeah, no way we can blame Kepa for that. If anything, it's it's our own defense to blame. It's our own attack to blame for not scoring goals. Um, because right when when Tuchel was here, I think a lot of what we were complaining about was we're scoring a few goals, but we're also conceding goals. If we're scoring two, we're conceding two. If we're scoring three, we're conceding three. Under Potter, we stopped scoring. We're not well. We're not scoring as much, but we're also keeping a lot of those clean sheets. And if our attackers are just able to score one or two goals a game, it's it should be good enough to play the game out. We don't expect, as fans, we can't expect them to play Man City-like football where we're scoring four or five goals. We've got someone like Haaland up front who can just come after every single loose ball and press the opposition and mentally just get in their heads and, and break down the defense. We just can't do that. We can't afford that. What we can afford is the fact that we can just play out the game after a goal, two goals. And that's that's what annoyed a lot of us against Man United because when when in the 86th minute, Jorginho scores that penalty, a lot of us sit back thinking a Chelsea team of Graham Potter with that defense should be able to handle the next 10 minutes minimum. We should be able to go. And and it was one of those where we lost another two points because, because of the, the header in the end. And that same thing happened yeah, at, at Tottenham as well. Too late, to, uh, a, a late goal by Hoiberg, and then uh, that Harry was it Harry Kane with that header, uh, getting getting into into the box. But yeah, it is what it is. Uh, tough game against Man United. Still above them on the league table. Long way to go. A lot of games to come. Uh, Salzburg on the week on the midweek and Tuesday as well. So when you guys are watching this tomorrow, uh, it'll be. And it'll be an interesting watch as well. Uh, but, but for those of you guys watching, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel because I'm trying to go to the uh, Zagreb game. And if I do, I will make sure to vlog it and then post it on here. So uh, it'll be an interesting one as well. But Akash, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for giving us your time once again. Uh, love the fact that you're still up for a convo at, at 1 a.m., 2 a.m. in India. It's, it's, always, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, for those of you guys watching, make sure to follow Akash on all of his social media pages. 
follow us on all of our social media pages follow and subscribe to us on our youtube channel to get the latest updates on chelsea as well as the reviews and the best guests coming on each single episode uh but that's it for now and thank you very much for listening in and we'll see you next time until then stay safe <laughs>